invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. In case you're wondering who Zacchaeus is, that's Australian for Zacchaeus. <laughs> when he first said that, Robert's preaching, about, preaching from Zacchaeus, they're thinking, where is that in the Bible? What, what book is that? Is that Old Testament or New Testament? The title of the message is, Jesus, friend of sinners. I've really been convicted this week as I've prepared. Uh, th- this is going to be a pretty personal message. And I recognize that a lot of who we would have here today are kind of the regulars. And so uh, I hope you don't mind me being personal. I'm going to anyway, whether you mind it or not. Because I want to start by asking this question. If we know that Jesus was a friend of sinners, I want to ask you, are you a friend of sinners? Right as I was graduating from seminary, I was interviewing with churches and talking to churches, a lot of times on the phone, a lot of times by, by mail. I don't know if you've served on a committee lately, but a lot of times churches send out these lengthy questionnaires that you answer. And, um, and one, of the, one of the questions where I answered a question, but one of the questions was, uh, and I was going to be the youth pastor at this church, one of the questions was, what will you do about youth, teenagers, who are not members of the church who want to come and participate in church activities? And, of course, I answered and said, I think that's great. That's the whole purpose of the activities is to get them to come there. The chairman of the committee called me and he said, well, Robert, although I agree with you, a lot of our parents really don't want those kind of youth coming to our youth activities. I thought, oh, so y'all are actually a country club and not a church. I'm not really interested in being a youth director. I was interested in being a youth minister. And so when I ask you this morning who... Who is it in your circle of influence right now that you're praying for? How often do you pray for lost people? And I have to admit, if you've been a Christian for a while, I have. Sometimes we start thinking, you know what, the circles I run in, I don't know any lost people. So I want to challenge you today to expand your borders. Expand your circles. And you know what, it may be there's people in your family that don't know the Lord. It may be people that you work among. It may be people that you go to school with. Start asking God to show you people who need to know Jesus Christ. So I want to do this this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to let us know who you're praying for. You can look on your bulletin, and there's a website there. I want you to email us. We're going to join you as a staff in praying for people that God lays on your heart. And I realize we've only got a couple more Sundays, so this is going to extend into the off season. I don't know what God wants us to do with that beyond that, but I've just been convicted this week that we're going to pray for people around us that need to know the Lord. And we're going to ask God to open our eyes. And you know what? I know that some of you already have a list. You're already thinking, I'm praying for this family member, or I'm praying for this coworker or this fellow student. I'm praying for their salvation. So I want to encourage you, email those. If you don't want to email the whole name, that's fine. Email a first name, email an initial, or just email and just say, I'm praying for a friend. You know, we'll hold those confidential. I'm not going to get up and start announcing names. You know, we're not going to put them on a wall or something so they may come to chapel someday and, you know, see their name up on a wall. That's not the purpose. The purpose is I want to join with you, and our staff is going to join with you in praying for the people that God is laying on your heart to pray for. Jesus is a friend of sinners. I want to read this passage. It's 10 verses from Luke chapter 19. Familiar passage, and that's a scary thing. When you sometimes come to these passages, it's easy to just gloss over them. You know, we've heard it. We know the song. Anybody want to come up and sing the Zacchaeus song this morning? 
I'm not going to do that because I'd like for the ones who are here to stay. Let me read the passage. Talking about Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give him back four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So I want you to see, first of all, this extraordinary effort to see Jesus. We read in this passage that Jesus is entering Jericho. As we follow his movements here in the last days of his ministry, he's been all the way up at Caesarea Philippi, which is as far north as he's ever going to get. He's come back now by the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, and he is entering into Jericho, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. In fact, not long after this encounter with Zacchaeus, we're going to see the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then a week later, he would be crucified. So Jesus is passing through Jericho. And as he's passing through, there's this man called Zacchaeus. He hears the news. The word is spreading. Jesus is coming. He's been performing miracles. Crowds gather. The name Zacchaeus is interesting. It's a Hebrew name. Some have debated, is this guy a Jew or not? Did he become a child of Abraham? No, I think he was a Jewish man. The, the name Zacchaeus is a Hebrew name. It means pure or righteous. Isn't that interesting? That was his name. And yet we know his life up to this point was not pure and righteous. But it was about to be. His name was Zacchaeus. Two things that we know about him. First of all, he's a chief tax collector. It's the only time in all of Scripture we see this distinction now, we've met other tax collectors, right? They called them publicans, publicans in the New Testament. They were hated by people. I don't know how you feel about the tax man or the tax woman, but they hated the tax collectors. It wasn't just that April 15th rolled around for them, but typically the tax collectors had this reputation of going house to house and collecting more than what was due. Now, the way tax collectors were paid is they had a certain amount they were supposed to collect for the Roman government, and they could collect a percentage on top of that to pay their salaries. But see, when they came to your house, you didn't have any choice but to pay up. And so a lot of these tax collectors became very wealthy by making people pay up even more than what the Roman government and the little percentage they were supposed to add would be. And so that's why people just despised these people. They were an outcast of society. And it says that Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, the first and foremost, the one who probably had other tax collectors operating under him. So he's the chief tax collector. That's the first thing we know about him. second thing is he's rich, abounding with wealth. How did he get rich? Probably it wasn't through an inheritance. It was probably he got rich because of his job. 
He had taken things from other people. And he had people working under him that had made him very wealthy. Jeff's already pointed out this amazing thought. If you, if you look at the passage right before this, what I preached on last week is Jesus had this encounter with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler who came to Christ and Jesus said, hey, if you want to follow me, because that's what you're lacking, you need to follow me. In order to do that, you've got to get rid of the stuff that's keeping you from following me. And it says the rich young ruler couldn't do that, couldn't give up his stuff. So he walked away sad because he owned a lot of property. He owned a lot of stuff. And so now we have this another encounter with a rich man who is now trying to see Jesus. He wants to catch a glimpse. I don't know totally what's in his, his mind here. I don't think he thought there's any way I'm ever going to talk to Jesus. He just wanted to see him. Well, have you ever been somewhere where you're trying to see what's going on? Maybe it was a parade. I remember growing up, we'd go to the parades. I grew up in Macon, Georgia, and we'd try to go to the parades. You had to get there early and kind of get a seat on the curb, <laughs> and then people would kind of pack in behind you. If we didn't get there early enough and I was small enough, guess where I watched the parade from? My dad's shoulders. Any people ever done that? You put your child up on your shoulders? Maybe you've been to a golf tournament, and you're, you're trying to see Tiger Woods, or back in my day it was... Jack Nicholas. I remember the first time I ever went to the Masters, I got to go on the, on the final round when he was in contention for the tournament. We got there right before he teed off, and as he's walking the first tee, I reckon there's no way we're going to see him here at this first tee because there's just too many people. You're not going to be able to get close enough. So we kind of did what Zacchaeus did. We ran on ahead down the first tee and, or down the first fairway, and I stood beside, I remember standing beside a magnolia tree. And as fate would have it, or luck, or whatever you want to call it, he hit his ball over there. <laughs> Here's a guy, you know, was my hero. I had scrapbooks on Jack Nicholas growing up. He had to come over and stand right by me, so it was really kind of cool. You know, I was like, thank you for hitting your ball over here. You know, and then as soon as he hit that shot, you had to run four holes ahead to get another spot in the crowd. So Zacchaeus had two things going against him. We know the two things that we know about him is he's a tax collector, he's rich. Two things going against him is he's short, small in stature, is the politically correct way of saying this. But he was small. But secondly, his position, even if he had kind of come up and said, do you mind if I get in front of you because I'm not going to block your view. You know, they're looking at him and thinking, no, we're not helping you get a little closer to Christ. So what does he do? He runs ahead and climbs up in a sycamore tree. Anybody have a sycamore tree in your yard? Well, if we had a picture of a sycamore tree, they, they grew these little, like, figs or whatever on them, so they're kind of a sycamore fig tree. In fact, let me show you a picture of a sycamore tree. This is me in front of a sycamore tree in Jericho. Now, they wouldn't let me climb the tree. You see the fence right there? <laughs> I wasn't going to hop that little yellow fence and have some guard shoot me down, but that's a sycamore tree in Jericho, and they would typically plant these trees beside the roadside so the branches would hang over the road. And so Zacchaeus found a place, low-lying limbs, wouldn't be too hard to kind of climb up in this tree and get out where he could see Jesus. So he has taken extraordinary measures to see Jesus. Now, again, that's kind of undignified to be a man of standing in the community, so to speak, and yet he runs and climbs up a tree. But that's how desperate he was to see Jesus. As I read that this week, I just convicted. How much effort do we go through? To meet with Christ. You know, if we're too tired on Sunday morning, we don't even go to church. This guy risked reputation to run ahead and climb, risked falling out of a tree to see Jesus. Church attendance in America, I was just kind of doing some research this week, thinking about 
how much effort people put into to going to church. In 1965, about half of Americans said they went to church regularly. That number down is down about 50% now. It's about 25%. In fact, it was interesting. Some of the surveys I've read, they've not only had to do surveys where they ask people, did you go to church in the last seven days? But now they're trying to figure out how many people are lying on the survey. Because they recognize that people are, are hearing the question and thinking, well, if I say I hadn't been, I'm going to appear to be immoral or something wrong with me. So I'm not going to answer what I have done. I'm going to answer what I wish I had done. And so now they've started doing, one survey actually did this. They did a survey where they said, we want to determine what kind of chemicals are being introduced into your body. And so they did this survey where they said, what, where have you been in the last seven days and what have you eaten and put in your body? And they found out that the people that said they were going to church really hadn't been to church when all they thought you were asking is, what kind of chemicals are you ingesting? And so we're not even sure if 25% is an accurate number. But I say that to say this. Here's a man who was really an outcast of society, probably didn't have a lot of friends, especially in the community where he lived, and yet he was so desperate to see Jesus. I don't know if he thought, maybe there's hope even for somebody like me. Then this unexpected invitation occurs. When Jesus comes to the spot, to the place, he sees Nicodemus, or excuse me, sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he says, he speaks to him. He says, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, see, why did Jesus do that? Did Jesus know that i got to go through this Jericho? Because the, the Scripture says he's passing through Jericho, but did Jesus know he was going to have this encounter or this, this God-anointed, appointed time with something only in the Father knew and he directed Jesus that way? I don't know the answer to that. I've been asking that this week because I ask questions like that. But Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And I don't think there's anybody else up in the tree. I don't think anybody else has gone to, the, gone to the extraordinary measures that Zacchaeus has. And when Jesus sees him, he says, hurry down from the tree. For I'm going to go, I need to stay at your house. In fact, the real literal meaning of the word must is it is necessary. It, it's the root word to bind. Jesus is basically saying, I am bound to stay at your house tonight. Jesus invites himself over to the house. Some of the thoughts I've had about that is, if you think about your encounter with Christ, some things that Jesus knows about you, first of all, he knows the place that you are, and he goes where you are. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't do evangelism the way I see some in the church do it today. It's like, let's just build a ministry center. Let's build a miracle center and invite people to come. That works for some people. In fact, you can do some programs at your church that may encourage some people to come. But what did Jesus do? He didn't sit in Jerusalem in a building and say, y'all come. He didn't put up flashy signs or anything like that, do a lot of publicity to say, y'all come. He went out to where people were, and he talked to people that nobody else would talk to. He touched people that nobody else would touch. And the good news for you is he knows your place. He also knows your sin. Was Jesus fooled by... Zacchaeus, did he not know? Jesus is God. He knows what's going on. He knew who he was talking to. And yet, he spoke to him. See, Jesus loves you even while you are a sinner. Romans 5, 8 said, God demonstrated his love toward us even while we were sinners. He died for us. And then the thing I like about Jesus is he calls us to himself. Do you remember the place where you met Jesus? In all likelihood, it wasn't up in a tree. <laughs> but there was some point in your life, if you're a child of God, 
where you met Jesus. It may have been in a Sunday school classroom. It may have been in a church service, a revival. It may have been at camp. It may have been over a lunch table. I want you to think back. Where was that? And I want you to remember, Jesus met you there. Jesus knew your sin and still loved you. And Jesus called you to himself. Today I must stay at your house. Let me close then with the responses. There's basically three responses to this invitation that Jesus gives uh, to Zacchaeus that I must come. It's necessary. And he says, you speed to get down here. A variety of responses. I want to start with the them. We don't know who, the, who they are, but it mentions their name twice. They. They saw it, and they said. The people in Jericho, and the reason there was a crowd there, I think a couple of things. One, it was close to the Passover time. So people, other people were traveling to Jerusalem just like Jesus was. They were on pilgrimage to the temple for the Passover. And so the streets were crowded. I think also Jesus had been healing people. And everywhere Jesus went, a crowd followed because they either wanted to be healed or they wanted to bring somebody to Jesus to be healed. So the crowds were there, and they began to speak. When they see Jesus and hear Jesus offer this invitation, they began to speak, and they began to grumble, literally to complain throughout the crowd. It's like one person says it, some person else repeats it, and what they're basically saying is, he is going to be the guest of a sinner. He's going over to his house to spend the night. He's, this man's a sinner. We thought Jesus was the Messiah. How could he be so duped by this guy? And how could he be so unclean to want to go and minister in this way? He would be the guest of a sinner. They all began to grumble. I wonder, did they see themselves as sinners? Apparently not. Apparently they kind of looked at themselves as being, we've got it all together. Why? Because, well, we're children of Abraham. We're part of the Jewish faith. We're on our way to church, for crying out loud. Can't be anything wrong with us. And yet they saw this man that they recognized as being a sinner and thought Jesus shouldn't have anything to do with him. So that's the first response. Second response is Zacchaeus. I love this. He hurried and came down. Here's this Zacchaeus who just wanted to see Jesus. In fact, as I thought about it this week, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, not recognizing that Jesus was ultimately seeking him. And so Zacchaeus hurries down, climbs down from the tree, receives him gladly. The word receive means to admit under one's roof. This isn't just that he walked up and had a hug. This isn't just he was inviting him over for dinner. But he recognized, I'm showing hospitality to Jesus. I'm receiving him under my roof tonight to spend the night. And it says that he received him gladly. I thought about our response sometimes. Because Zacchaeus didn't have to respond that way. Zacchaeus could have said no. When Jesus says, I must come over and spend the night with you tonight, Zacchaeus could have said, oh, no, uh-uh, no, wait, I, wasn't, I just wanted to see you. He could have said, you know, my house is a mess. Um, give me an hour or two. Let me go get it fixed up. He didn't say that, but, folks, I've had people tell me that when I've shared Christ with them. I've had people actually say to me, yes, I know I need Jesus, but I've got to get some things straight in my life first. I'm so glad Zacchaeus didn't say that. And, folks, if you're one of those that have thought that, that have thought, you know, I've got to get some things straight in my life, that's why you need Jesus. You can't get the stuff straight in your life. You need Jesus. Another answer he could have said was, well, not only do I need to get some things straight in my life, but I'm too bad. Jesus, you can't come over and spend the night with me because I am a sinner. I recognize that. If you hadn't noticed, everybody here knows it because they're talking about it. 
you shouldn't come over to my house. I'm just too bad. You ever heard anybody tell you that as you're telling them about Jesus? I have. It's amazing some of the answers you get when you ask people, are you ready? Do you want to ask Christ into your life? I had a little boy in Alabama. Probably the strangest thing I've ever heard was this. I said, are you ready to ask Christ into your life? He said, well, I know I need to, but I'm afraid of snakes. That was his answer. I thought, well, I didn't know that this church was that kind of church. I said, well, what do you mean you're afraid of snakes? He said, well, if I become a Christian, they're going to want to baptize me, and I've seen the river they're going to baptize me in. There's snakes down there. And nobody ever gotten to this point with this young man, but the thing that had kept him from coming to Christ was he was afraid of snakes. I said, look, trust me. Give your life to Christ. We'll find somebody in some place to baptize you where you're not going to get bit by a snake. If, if I have to go out there and beat them away in the river or we find a swimming pool for you, come to Christ. Folks, as you talk to people, they could have the same reaction that I've just mentioned about Zacchaeus. It could be, I've either got to get my life straight, which you can't do, or I'm too bad, which you can't be. And Zacchaeus didn't say that. He received him gladly. And then he shows evidence of repentance. He says, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. Zacchaeus recognized, I'm a wealthy man, and probably, we're reading into it here, but probably he recognized that the wealth I have hasn't come through totally honest means. I'm going to give half of my wealth away. Then he says this, if, if I have defrauded anybody, I'm not going to wait for them to sue me. I'm going to go and investigate. If I have defrauded anybody, I'm going to give back four times as much as I've defrauded them. I love the literal meaning of the word defraud here. This is the second time as I've studied Luke that I've seen this. It literally means this. It means to be a fig informer. As I had to investigate, what do you mean a fig informer? There was a law on the books during New Testament days because wherever they exported figs from had a bad harvest one year, and so they made a law, we can't export any figs this year because we don't have enough. But it stayed on the books, so even when they got back to having the good crops, they couldn't export them, but, although they did. They just ignored the law, but some people who wanted to stick to the letter of the law would inform on people and say, oh, he's, a fig. he's a fig exporter, I'm a fig informant. And so that's what the word defraud, kind of where it got its name from in the, in the New Testament. And so what he's saying is, if I have unjustly in court, if I have squealed on somebody, if I have used my position to cheat them out of anything, I'm not just going to give them back what I cheated. I'm going to give them back four times as much. Now, in the Old Testament, the laws were if you had defrauded somebody, you were supposed to give them back two times as much. If you had taken an animal by force or through killing, then you had to give them four times as much. So Zacchaeus is basically saying, I'm going to go the full extent of what I know about the law, and I'm going to pay back four times as much. We see this evidence then of repentance. See, Zacchaeus' heart was changed. He's met Jesus, and repentance has come. And what does Jesus say? That's Zacchaeus' response. Look at Jesus' response. Today, salvation has come to this house. I think Jesus said that in the hearing of all these people, the same people that he had heard say, you shouldn't go to that house because that's where Zacchaeus lives. He's a sinner. You shouldn't have anything to do with him. Jesus says, you need to know something about that house you were speaking bad against. Salvation's come to that house. A, this Zacchaeus is also a child of Abraham. Now, see, I think he was a Jew already, but I think he was living a, a, an immoral, unethical, 
sinful lifestyle. And what Jesus is saying is he's returned today to his roots, to his faith. He's a child of Abraham too. Salvation has come to this house. And then Jesus says, I think the most important thing, I want you to get this. He said, the Son of Man, me, Jesus, says, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Folks, he said that already before in the, in the pages of Luke. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 5. The religious people didn't get it about Christ, about why he had come, or about his mission. But look what he says in Luke chapter 5, verse 31. The Pharisees basically had been grumbling. There's that word again. Saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. See, Jesus said, I didn't come to correct the Pharisees. I didn't come to establish or to redo the Jewish faith. I didn't come to create a military and have some kind of political takeover of a kingdom. He said, I've come for this. I've come to seek. Literally, I've come to search out for those people who need me. I've come to search out sick people, sinners. And I've come to save, literally deliver or protect. That was his purpose. Folks, that's the good news about Jesus. When you talk to people about sharing their faith, a lot of times the reason people don't share their faith is fear. And I used to think the answer to that question of fear was they were afraid they didn't know what to say. I don't think that's the fear. I think the fear is we're afraid of rejection. And it's not so much we're afraid of them rejecting Jesus as we are. We're afraid they're going to reject us. Listen, it's not about you. When you share your story about what Christ has done in your life, that's the most powerful thing you can tell somebody. Hey, I was a sinner. I was separated from God. I would spend eternity apart from God forever and ever. And this Jesus who died on a cross, I have trusted him as my lord and savior he has forgiven me of my sins he's my lord and savior i'm going to spend eternity with him folks if they reject that they're not rejecting you it's not about what they think of you if they reject that they're rejecting christ that's not your problem just tell people about jesus you don't have to have a fancy plan to lay out in front of them you can you can draw something out on a napkin but that's cool good visual but the main thing is tell people what Jesus has done for you. I want to pray for us this morning, but I want you to remember this. Number one, who are your friends that need Jesus? I want you to write their names down. I want you to start praying for them. I encourage you to email us at the chapel, and we'll join you. We have staff meetings on Tuesday, and we'll pray for them on Tuesday. And we'll pray for them at other times. And then I want you to follow up with that. Listen, if you get an opportunity to share Christ with them, tell us that too. Tell us what their response was. If they've come to Christ, let us know that so that we can rejoice with you about that. Tell people about Jesus. Just share the story. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Folks, he was your friend when you were a sinner. And so if you're a child of God now, tell other people that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And simple story of, of Zacchaeus, a man who really didn't bring anything in his hand. He was a sinner. Everybody in town knew it. He had a reputation. And yet he had an encounter with Jesus on this day that changed his life forever.
Zacchaeus will spend eternity in heaven because of this encounter with Christ and his repentance, Lord, after, after coming to faith. And God, I pray for us. Lord, would you show us people around us that are like Zacchaeus? They may seem small in the eyes of the world. But God, whether they're rich or poor, if they don't know you, they need to. God, give us opportunities to just tell our story. Here's who I was, and here's how I came to Christ, and here's what my life is like now. God, put those people across our paths. We pray this in Jesus' name.